Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hey everyone, Jacob Daniel here. This is the Daniel 3 Podcast, uh, episode 56. Uh, we're still in catch-up mode, but we are going to get there soon. Um, we're up to episode 62 um, at the time of me recording this in terms of what is current. So six episodes behind, but I'm trying to upload two episodes a day uh, and get caught up by the end of this uh, first week of April. So... Back in episode 56, and this was, uh, where is it here? This was back on January 8th, 2022. I had a conversation with Will Bell. Um, Will is a friend of mine, fellow Mises Caucus member uh, from the state of Georgia, who is a regular, along with me, on the Capitalist Communion on Reed Coverdale's show, The Naturalist Capitalist. Um, which you can go check out on Reed's show if you want. We've done four episodes of that, and it's a roundtable, two Christians and two atheists, and we talk about various different things um, related to religion and libertarianism, but like sort of trying to model a sort of good faith um, mindset that Christians and atheists should have within the liberty movement sphere. Um, Will and I are sort of... So, uh, Reed and the other Christian, Liam, are sort of the more moderate of, of our, our, of our, uh, four musketeers, you know, uh, you know, Reed is certainly an atheist and Liam is certainly a Christian, but they tend to be, I guess, more soft-spoken and Will and I tend to be more, uh, <laughs> uh, I don't know, a little bit more fundamentally opposed and, uh, uh, I think I think we're the ones that add the uh, the spicy one-liners and uh, <laughs> back and forth in those episodes, but but it's always done from a from a from a, from a good-hearted uh, uh, place of 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 you know ultimate friendship and com- camaraderie, um, even when we're disagreeing. So I had Will on the show, and basically we talked about a lot of the things we've talked about on Reed's show, but we got to get more more in depth and, and have a. Uh, kind of more long form dialogue on some of the things we we disagree on, but the things we agree on too. Um, so I think you guys will enjoy this conversation. Um, uh, yeah, I think that's all I got for this one. Um, so go ahead and enjoy uh, my conversation with Will Bell.
Hello, everybody. Jacob Daniel here. This is the Daniel Three Podcast. Thanks for uh, tuning in again. Um, so, try to figure out how I want to introduce this episode. I'm a little out of sorts. It's been a heck of a week. Um, I've had a lot of, you know, I feel like I feel like I say that every episode now. Um, really, since uh, September when my dad went into the hospital, it's been like one thing after another lately. But you know, that's just the way it is sometimes. Uh, I try to keep this uh, podcast thing going. Um, got some cool things in the works coming up. Uh, I did have to reschedule my episode with uh, uh, Clint from Liberty Lockdown. I was supposed to do that uh, the other night, but had some personal things come up. So I had to reschedule with him, but he'll be coming on the show soon. Um, and uh, who else do I have coming up? Um I can't remember. <laughs> It'll come to me. Uh, you, you know, follow me, of course, Twitter at Biblical Anarchy, Daniel318.com. Stay tuned in. I uh, usually announce stuff ahead of time. Um, I uh, also um, just accepted a new job. Um, so I'm uh, starting the 23rd, going to start at uh, only the second place I've worked at uh, in 10 years. Um, so it's going to be a bit of a transition for me to do that so like i said i got a lot going on here but uh, i'm excited about uh the way things are headed here uh with my podcast and and what i'm trying to do with it um i, I do have got a lot of interesting guests in the works i'm just not good at remembering them live on air um but uh tonight i have uh, a friend of mine who i'm excited to have uh, a conversation with um you guys have probably seen uh, me with him. If you follow uh, Reed's show, uh, we do a little uh, roundtable called the Capitalist Communion. He is also, uh, 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 this is his wine that you've seen me just sipping from the bottle because uh, that's how I roll uh, up here in PA. We're too classy to drink wine out of cups. So, uh, <laughs> uh, but it is my friend, Will Bell. And, you know, I'm going to bring him up right now. Hey, Will, how you doing? Doing fine, man. How, how about yourself? Yeah, I'm 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 hanging in there, man. You know, I'm just taking it day by day. I don't have enough time to, you know, sleep sometimes it feels like, but uh, you know, I can't complain as long as I'm still breathing and still uh um, you know, still still alive. I you know, can't can't complain too much. Yeah, so you, man. Thanks so, for having me on. Man. Yeah, yeah. We've been trying to do it for a little bit. Uh, like I said I, we had to re- I've had to reschedule a couple of people a couple of times, you you being one of them. So, I'm glad to finally uh have you on so someone someone made a comment i'm not even sure what they're saying intense bible reading um i don't <laughs> i don't i don't know if we're gonna get into any bible reading tonight we'll, we'll talk a little bit of religion and stuff um so you know for anyone who uh has already like seen us talk on reed's show they probably know who you are but for my audience who maybe you know thinks that reed is a corny grifter and so they don't pay any attention to him maybe introduce yourself and uh uh you know we can talk about like you know if you want to talk about your journey to libertarianism and uh we can then go from there yeah right on man um well i've um been a libertarian for about a decade now kind of came on between the, the ron paul 2008 and 2012 campaigns um kind of realized who he was and, and then really jumped on bo- board during the 2012 um, just always kind of, you know, voted that way through a few dollars at a few races and that kind of thing. And, uh, I don't know, uh, kind of really got involved in the Mises caucus recently now, 
mainly because of uh, just kind of getting to know everybody here on Twitter and on on the podcast and stuff. Reed Reed really kind of pushed me into it. He's a uh, you know been kind of a a big force in our circle or whatever lately. Yeah, no, Reed's awesome. Um, I remember kind of watching that that happen and. Uh, yeah, I've said this before when I've when I've talked to Reed on his show and on my and when I've had him on my show, but uh, it was funny watching the whole thing go down with Reed and Dave because Reed on a like much larger scene went through the same thing I did when I kind of started getting involved in the Libertarian Party sphere because I came in and was like, oh, I don't know if I really like the Mises Caucus, uh, but then there's the other people that like really really hate them. And I was just like, can't we just, I don't know, get along, stop fighting, stop, you know, all this stupid drama and stuff. The real enemy is the state. And then, you know, six months of me trying to bridge that gap just like radicalized me into a full-fledged Mises Caucus member. And now I'm a state organizer and stuff. And, uh, you know, with Reed, he kind of like the same thing. He kind of, you know, did that thing with Dave and, and Clinton, all them about like, you know, let's just stop the fighting and unite as libertarians. And then, you know, you know, 12 months later, you know, uh, all the, it's really not a lot though. It's just a small contingency of loud, angry people in the movement and the party who, uh, you know, want to, want to burn bridges and not work with anybody else. Um, you know, what, what, uh, other than Reed, I mean, what was your experience like as far as like, uh, getting involved, uh, with the caucus, maybe what you're like, your first impressions with it and stuff and you know maybe you know how has, how much has that changed from then to now well i you know I've, i guess my um my first introduction to it was through dave i've been a dave smith fan for years um podcasts legion of skanks that kind of thing and then him talking about libertarianism more and more i, I kind of always agreed with him he, he didn't really make me a libertarian but um like listening to him i was always like yeah this guy gets it and then as he got more involved with the with the party and this movement i was kind of jazzed about that i don't agree with him on everything i got a lot of you know nitpicky shit but for the the majority of it i think he'd be an excellent spokesperson for liberty um and, and um you know always been a scott horton fan super fan of him uh, tom woods that kind of thing love them guys uh Michael Malice, he's a he's another one that I that that I've kind of just like love his messaging and want to bring that more to the party and then like outward to other people just so I'm not so we're not like getting laughed at in the way we have in the past. We're the Libertarian Party's really earned um some of the mockery that it gets. And I hope we oh, can yeah. make us more the cool kids on the block more than the nerds that get pushed around. <laughs> and shit like that but uh that was that was my biggest hesitancy with joint uh, of joining the caucus at first was i mean like i became uh an anarchist and then i was just like what the what the heck are you guys doing with the lp like politics is you know fake and gay and you know you can't you know it's like we, we all accept this is illegitimate and controlled by by the state and what good could possibly come of it um you know i i, I viewed Republicans as corrupt, libertarians as useless, and Democrats as insane. And just, you know, that was my anti-political phase. I was, you know, big into agorism and big into just like, you know, we just need to wake more people up and, 
you know, if enough people just don't buy into this thing and don't participate in it, it'll just go away. Uh, you know, I still kind of believe that. Um, but it was really like Michael, Michael, I, I live in the same state as Michael Heiss. And so, uh, and, and some of the other board members of the caucus. So back in, uh, what year was it? 2018 or 2019? I think it was 2019. Uh, they dragged me to a pe- uh, the Pennsylvania state uh, convention for the Libertarian Party. Uh, I went like, you know, it was kind of like, oh, come, it'll be fun. You know, you can just see what we're about and learn more. And then I basically sat down with with a heist for like, I don't know, like a couple of like him, Jeff Douglas, Luke Enser, a bunch of other people and uh, just all drinking and are, you know, <laughs> arguing and, and that they kind of started to convince me a little bit that, you know, what they were doing was important. And I don't know, kind of like what you said, like, even if politically it, it's kind of hard to get stuff done, this party exists. And if it's going to exist, it, we can't have it be embarrassing to what our philosophy is. It'd be one, like, I don't care what the constitutional party does. I don't, I don't care what, uh, you know, if there was an Ayn Rand party or if there was a, you know, cat, there, there is like a cat, there's like, what is it? The, uh, American capitalist party. Like there's some other, it's like, I don't generally care what they do, but when the third, when the biggest third party in the country is named after the philosophy that I espouse and they misrepresent it so badly, it's kind of like that, that that is necessary damage control that we have to uh, partake in, I think. Um, so that's kind of what started to drift me towards wanting to, to get involved and, and, and support what, what, uh, what the caucus is doing. I get you, man. Like I've always liked the party. Like I've never been like anti-libertarian party. Uh, and I, I consider myself an anarchist too. I don't know if anybody else would. I'm just kind of, I guess like first principles, I go to anarchy, but, but honestly, I'm, I'm just, menarchy is okay with me too. <laughs> I just want to get to more freedom. Um, and, and all that jazz. Uh, I, I've always been a fan of the part. I was a Gary Johnson fan for years, you know, when the Ron Paul movement kind of ended, Gary Johnson was there and, you know, he was, as far as politicians go, he was seemed like a good, a good dude, a uh, honest dude, kind of, and he's impressive in his own right, like a governor and a self-made businessman. As far as I know, self-made businessman. But uh, the more I paid attention and, and saw how the sausage was made and the, it, you know, behind the scenes, and kind of like started hearing stories and not that it's terrible, but there's a lot of embarrassing things that he'd do. Um, not really representing us well in the media. Everybody knows the Aleppo moment, but even before that, like you'd be asked things like how can, what would, what would be like a good way to like connect with progressives or something. And instead of like talking about ending the drug war and ending the terror war and how we're, we're set up more to represent that. He'd just be like, I don't know. Like, I don't know. Like we're the, and Ron Paul would like, as a, you know, he would make almost any argument sound like it's the only, like he's, he knows everything. Like you would ask him about heroin legalization and he would make it sound like the obvious thing to do. And Gary Johnson would be kind of apologizing for it. 
as he was like, I, I like it, but you know, we, you, that kind of shit. Yeah. And that's the thing that really bugs me about guys like Gary Johnson or other of the, I guess like blue pilled variety of libertarian is they just seem embarrassed to be libertarian. You know what I mean? And yeah. I'm, I, and I'm not saying that there isn't utility and, and a, you know, like a tact that you need to take when you're talking to normies. Like if you just lead with, you know, uh, the state is a cult of pedophiles and taxation is theft and, you know, privatize everything, you know, you might have a hard time reaching people where they're at. And I'm all for reaching people where they're at, but, but, but that should never come in conflict with speaking the truth. And Ron Paul is just such a brilliant example. And, and Dave is too, a brilliant example of like, of, of kind of riding that line between not, you know, kind of like recognizing who you're talking to and telling them the truth without scaring them away because you kind of like, you know, uh, there's kind of like an old biblical saying, like, you know, uh, I forget the exact verse or something, but it was like when I was a boy, I, you know, like I, I drank milk and then, uh, you know, as a man, I, you know, then you, you eat meat, kind of like the milk before bread, bread before meat. It's like you got to meet people where they're at for sure, but you should, you shouldn't, you know, uh, you, you shouldn't, if you act, if you act embarrassed about what your positions are, you're not going to convince anybody to take you seriously. Um, you gotta be willing to, to challenge people and, and be, be, you know, be confident that your answers are, are correct and that your philosophy is correct or no one's going to take you seriously. I think and that was the problem with Gary Johnson. I think is, I don't think he's a bad dude. I don't even think he's a bad libertarian. I just think he, you know, and there's some moments of him I really like. I always loved the the. I forget what what interview it, what, he was who was interviewing him, but they were just talking about like marijuana and his stances on that. And it was the whole like you know marijuana leads to like it was like all these made up things. One of them was cardiac arrest, and he just sits there and he's just like, and then starts yeah. falls out of his chair. <laughs> I was like, oh, all right, that that was pretty fucking awesome. Like, you know, that was Gary Johnson at his best was when he was like, he, he was yeah. good at being silly, like in a likable yeah. way. But it just it became almost like the corporate press used that, like right. this kind of like silly honesty that he had, and just kind of took him out. But and some of it wasn't like, some of Gary Johnson's like worst moments. I don't even know if I can blame him for because it was like well, I, I can blame him for kind of but it was also like it was also the party's fault like i remember like one of the clips i saw go viral of johnson uh, i've seen shared by people who like the dunk on the party was the uh i get i don't know if it was 2016 or 2012 um when all the nominees were uh you know being like you know in a debate of sort like all the libertarian nominee party nominees were in a debate of sort and and they were asking questions like you know uh the legitimacy of driver's licenses and and gary johnson gets booed at the libertarian party because he goes well you know it's driver's license i don't know i would like to see people display some competency before they drive and everyone starts going boo and and it's like there's so much wrong with that clip because for one i mean it's like some people will, will, will be like oh gary johnson was bad because that's the wrong answer and i was like no that thing was bad, not only because Gary Johnson handled it badly, but it was just the wrong question. And it was like, what are you talking about? Like, we're so far away from yeah. like, <laughs> all this kind of shit. The minarchy and yeah. anarchy debate is ridiculous. And it's a trap that libertarians fall into for sure. 
And that when people were booing him, I guarantee ninety nine percent of them were playing. You know, like people just boo. I might if I was in that crowd, I might have booed. But right. I understand the legitimacy of like us not talking about abolishing driver's license. <laughs> it, it's it's a silly <laughs> argument. I mean, like we can believe that. 20 steps down the road. I mean, I would be talking about civil asset forfeiture before I talked about driver's licenses. And and, and that's an issue that sometimes I even go, okay, like in the context, I heard Dave say it a lot, like in the, like during 2020, when lockdowns were happening, you know, if you wanted to talk about civil asset forfeiture, it would seem kind of like you were, uh, you know, do you, do you know where you are? Do you know what's going on around you? That was the problem with Jorgensen too. It was like, it's just sometimes libertarians just like uh, some of the, the, the party establishment ones, it's just like, they don't recognize anything. They don't recognize the, the culture. They don't recognize uh, like current events. It's just like, it's just weird. Like it's like, it's like random word generator of libertarian ideas. (laughs) that's what it sounds like sometimes no i feel you but like when dave would say that i would kind of i wouldn't really love that messaging like we have been living through the covid thing um the pandemic is a once in a lifetime show of like all the libertarian talking points that we've all gone through a million times about how terrible this uh you know this overreach by our government's been and it's a pandemic that i mean it's not as bad as a lot of people are presenting, but it is bad. And, and you know, it, it's been rough. Um, but civil asset forfeiture is still something to talk about. It's still crazy. It's still bad. Talk yeah. about like, you know, the cops are taking more money from citizens than citizens are taking from each other. And uh, no one believes me when I say that. Like, I'll <laughs> say that in con- like, you know, normal conversation. Like, you know, civil asset forfeiture, you know, the talking point and people be like, no that that that's not right and then you just kind of like google it or or whatever but you know nobody does that um i think i think these kind of things like we need to no matter what the covid regime or the federal government's doing like we still got wars overseas we still got the drug war going on oh yeah i think you should always talk about that stuff but it's like what do you what are you going to lead with you know what I mean? It'd be kind of like if you were a libertarian in 2005 and you weren't leading with the like the wars in the Middle East. It'd be like, dude, like, well, <laughs> have yeah. you been living under a rock? What's going on? Hundred um, percent. Yeah, yeah. So you always got to be. You always got to be. You know, and you know that, that that's what made Ron Paul great. Was like he was great on everything, but he always kind of spoke to usually like the most important stuff. And um, yeah, I don't know. I I just think that's something that definitely the Mises caucus for the most part is, is, uh, is helping to, to hopefully bring some correction to is to, you know, not to, you know, that we, we can only talk about one thing, but just to, you know, prioritize things and bring a bit more clarity and effectiveness to the, to, to the messaging, which I, I, which I think is important. Um, you know, w- one of the things I, I often talk about with the Mises caucus, especially like when people are like attacking us or criticizing us is there's often this like uh conception or this narrative that's pushed that like the Mises caucus is the right wing takeover of the party or it's the right wing at least like the right wing faction of the party and i i don't i've never really agreed with that um i, I definitely think the the the, tr- the baby in the bathwater in that is that i think 
if you're going to find the place in the party where there's like maybe the biggest concentration of right wingers, I think it'd be fair to say the Mises caucus is that, but to say it, it's either predominantly right wingers or that it's a, like necessarily ideologically a right wing thing, I don't think is correct. Um, I felt, I, I've act, yeah, I was like, yeah, I, I, I kind of at first, like I, it gave me trepidations about uh, joining it, but like when when Scott Horton was associated with it and stuff, and you know, leading with the wars and such, that that's really what kind of got me to pay better attention, and then I saw it for what it is. I, I do see the Mises Caucus as just. Yeah, there are a lot more right wing guys in it, but I think it's just kind of like the remnant of the Ron Paul days getting charged yeah. back up. And uh, hopefully, under the Mises Caucus banner, we can, uh, you know, kind of unite the Libertarian Party down the road. Right. It and have and to be taken over, but. Well, that's kind of what I see happening. I even see people not in the caucus who are just kind of like, um, you know, ready to join hands with us and like, hey, let's just get this shit done. Or even a lot of people, like people a year ago who I would talk to who were like, you know, we were friends, but they were like, I mean, I don't know about the Mises caucus. And, you know, they, they were, you know, like worried about it. And now they're talking to me like, hey, man, I'm thinking about joining. <laughs> and I'm just like, and, I, and it's like, I, I don't even know if I, sometimes I'm like, you guys don't have to join to work with us. You know that, right? Like join if you want, but it's like, you know, you don't need to feel like it's like if you don't join, you're going to, we're, we're going to purge you or something that's never been it's never been the goal um but i actually I think, think it would be a lot more official than it is you know like i, I thought there'd be like an initiation i'd have to like right something i just kept being like you know we did the discord meeting and i'm like is this it am i am i mises caucus now and they're like, yeah. right yeah <laughs> well and it's it's intentionally set up that way which i like it's so uh i mean sometimes too much the mises caucus is decentralized it's always funny when people say, oh, it's it's this, you know, cult led by Michael Heiss. And I'm just like, I was like, if anything, sometimes it's like it's too much of the opposite where it's like it's almost too anarchically like, you know, people just doing I, things. <laughs> I didn't know who Michael Heiss was until after I joined the caucus. Right. Like every every state kind of does their own thing. And, you know, sometimes there's even like internal I mean, you've seen that the past couple of weeks there's internal squabbles within the caucus because not everybody sees eye to eye like it, i mean texas and new hampshire fight a lot uh you know uh here in pennsylvania i've fought i fought with massachusetts a lot um i mean it's uh you know we're, we're not a collective hind mind it's it's very you know th there's a lot of different personalities involved and i, I kind of feel like it's it's almost like to like use more left-wing talking points like i feel like the mises caucus has the most diversity out of any other entity within the movement you know what i mean like there's so many different people of different backgrounds and lifestyles and opinions um you know i mean there are people in this party in, in this caucus like me who are like you know kind of more con conservative you know christian types and then there's people uh that are like you know total total like left-wing degenerates as i was as i would call them or you know or at least you know they're, they're they're living that kind of lifestyle i mean here in my state of pennsylvania we got two active transgender members of of the caucus and there's there's some a lot of lgbt you know people in the caucus that you know i mean they don't go around you know like 
you know, making a big deal about it, but like they are like, you know, they're so, you know, I that's, got, you know, I got a lot of friends and family members down here in the deep South, uh, that are members of the LGBT community. And, uh, um, I, I would, I would count them as more of my perspective, possible libertarian recruits than, uh, you know, than, than some people that you would normally think that now that's just the makeup of our area. Like we're just such a predominantly right wing area that like, you just see, you know, like people that are just not the, the normal, the minorities here. Like they yeah. Could. Well, I think, I think like wherever you go geographically, whoever holds the power, the people uh, represented by that group are going to be the hardest to get to push towards libertarianism. So like, if you live in an area that's like, you know, very red Republican controlled and, and they kind of have that comfortability, then mm -hmm. they're going to be, you know, just sort of like consequentially less critical of the political system that they're, that's favoring them than the people who are, you know, suffering under the op opposition. Um, you know, that's why it was a little bit of a flip. Like during the Trump years, I actually, even when I was with the caucus, I kind of focused more on talking to all my Democrat friends, but uh, that's flipped. Now I'm back talking to all my my MAGA friends and stuff, and it's just because like you know the people who were in power, just you know you know what I mean. It's like they're they're just they're more willing to you know take that blue pill like in the Matrix sense. It's like the the even if they know like because I know some people on the left who like they know like they're smart enough to know this whole thing's a sham, but they're but they're like. Uh, uh, what was that guy's name in the Matrix? Like Cipher, I think. Who's just like, I know this steak is fake, but it tastes so good. And I'm just like, <laughs> that's what well, people you know, do sometimes. Like, there, there are a lot of left wing like pragmatists or whatever that are just kind of like, yeah, progressivism is everything you think it is or whatever. But it, they kind of use it as their paraxis or whatever. Like, like some of the the post libertarians would take conservatism to its like extreme for their liberty there are progressives that think that way too um we got a big fucking country big country sorry if that's no you can curse on on my show i don't care. <laughs> but, but you know it's a big country and a lot of people and a lot of different perspectives and um yeah and the libertarian party itself has so many different schools of thought and 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 things um i don't know that it's yeah no and, and i think it's easier to exist in a setting like this you know what i mean like in a setting where the emphasis is on your individual freedom and on de-escalating these power systems it's like it's it's easier for all these different groups to coexist whereas in other settings it's just like you it, you in, intrinsically are oriented to view the other people as the enemy. Like if we weren't both in the libertarian party or in the Mises caucus, and we just knew like maybe 10 prominent facts about each other, you know, and encounter each other in social media, you'd be like, Oh, look at this, you know, idiot, you know, Christian theonomist Jacob wants to, you know, uh, put gays in prison and, uh, you know, uh, beat the Bible over my head. And then I'd be like, Oh, look at Will, this filthy degenerate who's trying to, you know, get us all drunk on blueberry wine and live his <laughs> lifestyle of debauchery. And, you know, I mean, it's like, it, but, you know, we don't have, we don't have that in the libertarian spheres because we just, you know, it's like, oh, it's like, 
we can actually have friendships with people who disagree with us because we're we don't have that that you know tension where we think we're either one of us is trying to like sneakily grab power and force the other one to do something against their will um and it leads to it leads to a better ability to have like intellectual conversations i think yeah we're not um we're not embracing like the idea of like trying to control each other like we're rejecting that i think right wing and left wing like when they really get down to it when you embrace that culture war or whatever it is over just trying to control the other and it just doesn't you're not going to be we wouldn't be able to be friends if we weren't libertarians it would just come to like you know it would come to just argument all the time but we both like i think love the idea of liberty or anarchy or however you want to yeah you want to want to call it and you know we we realize that we can live peacefully and and coexist and even become friends when we're not trying to co- control each other's lives. You know? Well, and, and, you know, one of the things and this is going to be a little bit different for me than you, but I imagine you probably do a little bit of this too, but like, you know, be, because I'm a libertarian, I, I, the reason I started this podcast was because like, I felt an obligation to like, look at the people who are the most like me, like my fellow brothers and sisters in the church and to be like, insofar as there's a lot of Christians in the church who are trying, who are trying to, to take political power and wield it against other people, uh, they're contributing to the problem. You know what I mean? Like I met so many people when I joined this movement who have this, like this, this, like and some of it comes from like a legitimate place of hurt, but they just have this like allergy to Christians. Like they just like, you know what I mean? It's like, like they, they hear I'm a Christian and it's just like, they want nothing to do with me or, or they're hostile towards me. It's not like a large amount, but like it's a couple people that like you'll notice like they get like obviously and, and very quickly triggered if I start just like talking openly about my faith or, you know, my beliefs and stuff. Um, it, like like I shared like I shared like an episode of my podcast like early on in the Mises Caucus group. And there was like a guy who got like really upset. It's just like uh, this isn't a Christian group. Please stop trying to beat the Bible. I was like, I'm not trying to do that, brother. It's like, you know, freedom of association. You don't have to watch this. It's, you know, it's like. <laughs> I went through um, years of that, you know, that kind of um, years of just being just turned. Growing up in Christianity and then like re- rejecting the faith and um, and becoming an atheist or whatever. Um you know, there was some years there where I was just kind of like, I was ready to argue, like every time the Bible would come up. And down here in the South, it is all the time. <laughs> I mean, it's just our culture soaked in, uh, you know, Christianity. And, um, you know, he's just almost like walking around wanting to argue. Um, the more I embraced, you know, liberty and anarchy and all these kind of ideas, I started to care less, care less about what everybody else was um, you know, pushing. Now, I do fight it when it's trying to be pushed in by the state or just into like the public sphere. That's where I'll do like kind of put on my secular hat and go to war. But like in as but I, I but I do too. That, I mean, it's like it, it, what's funny is that I'll get accused by some of the more like like I guess post libertarian praxian you know, uh, types that like I'm being too secular or they'll be like, you're, well, how do they put it? They're like, 
you're like there'll be like the problem with libertarianism is that it's secular and you're you're arguing you're, like you're being a bad christian if you're arguing for libertarianism and i'm like i like i think i i, I disagree like strongly and i even think that i can support this scripturally that you know like as libertarians like we believe in law and order actually and we believe in like not not a law that's pushed on people through a monopoly of violence but we believe in like the law that comes from you know the enforcement of individual rights and private property rights and i think that the systems that will naturally arise whether they be minarchist or anarchist or something in between are always necessarily going to be secular in nature because one of the rights that you have as an individual as a self as an expression of your self-ownership is the the right to uh believe what you want to believe or to not believe in what you you don't believe like the, the freedom of re religious belief or the lack of religious belief and that's even biblical like the bible uh, in you know i think uh, very strongly says that, you know, we should not be forcing people to believe and, you know, we should be trying to persuade, like, you know, the Christian perspective should would be, we should be trying to persuade people to witness to people to be an example that would maybe inspire them to, to think there's value in, in what we're doing, but um, to, to wield the sword in the pursuit of forcing people to believe in what we believe, or the idea that the systems of law should be inherently, uh christian or religious to me is just a a confusion like it's just like the church is supposed to be the church and governance however that takes form is supposed to be governance and to confuse the two is to like is is a is a to me an unbiblical mixture um and it just you hurts. know what i'm saying I get what you're saying completely, man. Yeah. I uh, I think um I don't know if you said it on a podcast we did together or just like one time when we were talking, you know, privately or whatever, but you made the point that you, you know, like you're more offended at um less offended at blasphemy, like traditional blasphemy than like and you more think of like using the Lord's name in vain as in like using like the state to push the Lord or something right. of that nature. I, I I dug that point. And I really like when I was a Christian, I, uh, I was always like a blasphemous little shit, even <laughs> as a believer. And I would make that point, like saying, God damn it. Isn't, isn't even like the point that the right the commandments is making and that kind of stuff. So Yeah. And well, I, and I try to, you know, it's like, I try not to go around like being, I try to like, I'm not against cursing, but I do try to curse with like intentionality you know what i mean like if i'm going to use words like that if i'm using them all the time they have no meaning if i try to like be very soft spoken but then when i use them it's like oh oh shit <laughs> take them drop to death bombs <laughs> so with you. yeah so, the opposite approach right <laughs> but, so uh, with you it's the opposite like oh wow will just said something without cursing holy shit <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> he must be yeah. serious but, uh, is like, like saying yeah. fuck i was like my um like <laughs> right <laughs> <laughs> It's bad as I get into more like uh, professional atmospheres. I do try to tone it down hard, but yeah. I, I, I put my foot in my mouth a lot. And you know, that's it's, just... it's such a tough issue for me because, like, personally, I do not care at all. Like, for me, it's just like these are words. It's like 
I, I don't think that cursing is about the sounds that your throat and vocal cords produce shaped by your tongue. Like it's about your intentionality. You know what I mean? Um, but, but at the same time, it's like, I know if I curse too much, the people I am trying to read, like my fellow Christian brothers and sisters, they're going to be turned off by my message if I'm, you know, dropping a lot of F-bombs. So it's like, I try to keep myself under control for the most part, but then it's like, if I have guests on, I don't like shame them for cursing. It's just like, you know, I'm just not that kind of guy. I don't finger wag at people, but yeah, I, for to what you were saying, um, yeah, I, I care much more about like if your actions are taking the Lord's name in vain, than if you use two words next to each other, you know what I mean? It's like, what, what matters more? Like I use two words next to each other in a way that offends you, or I proclaim to follow Christ, but the things I am doing are directly in conflict to the things that he taught and the example that he lived, Let like, me ask which, you. which is, which is worse. <laughs> Let me ask you, like, as a biblical anarchist, does it, irk you when you like see like in god we trust on our money or in the court system like seeing that kind of as a rep- representative yeah yeah it does because to me it's like um it, it's it's almost like culty you know what i mean it, it, it's like wh- wh- why do you think that your your cult of like to me like i don't think like you know satanists are mostly like edgy atheists for the most part actual satanists to me like i view the state as an actual like as like you know concentrated satanic powers that's like, how i day, view the state one day and we're gonna have to debate what is the more like libertarian the satanic ten commandments or the abrahamic <laughs> commandments <laughs> <laughs> i love i love like I said, I, I love blasphemy, and I've always been very interested in the uh, the, the satanic people. They suck because they're like, you know, shit libs, right? But, uh, but I've always they're they're exact they're edge lord atheists that are trolling, yeah, uh, Christian. Yeah. They do really like in the in the realm of uh, standing up for you know religious freedom. They are the they're they're really heroes in that. Do you feel the same way, or do you just does it today? I don't know. I mean, it's kind of like for me sometimes. I feel like for a lot of for, uh, my gut feeling would be that a lot of them might be doing the right thing for the wrong reason. You know what I mean? <laughs> so it's hard to might be hard for me to celebrate it. But is it? I don't know. Is it better to do the right thing for the wrong reason than to just be doing the wrong thing? So it's like, and that's my biggest thing. With the Christians is like, you know, I, I and this might get into maybe a segue because I wanted to ask you a little bit about like you know kind of what led you away from the faith but i feel like what for a lot of people turns them off what i've experienced is just that they they notice so much hypocrisy within the church and they notice so much people like not not like like taking the bible seriously in the ways that allow them to hate and discriminate against people but not seriously in the ways when it comes to pointing back at themselves to live a, to, to live a more consistent ethical life. It's like if, if you go around focused on, you know, uh, the passages about men lying with other men and, and that's like the, you know, the thing you're going out there in the world, uh, bringing, bringing out of the Bible the most, but you're not, you know, concerned about loving your neighbor and you're not concerned. Like what Jesus, one of my favorite passages is, 
uh, when Jesus talks about, uh, you know, when you, that which you've done to the least of these, you've done unto me, you know, like, like when you, they're like, like, you know, when you uh, care for the widow or, or, or you feed the poor or you provide shelter for the homeless or, you know, you, um, you uh, adopt the orphan and stuff, you know, it's like when you, when you do those things, like you've done them unto me. And um, it's like Christians who are bad, like who are just take, like, you know, it is taking the Lord's name in vain. And it's like when there's so many Christians and, and all these churches who are doing that, it's like, and I, like, I've gone through this. You get to a point where you're like, how am I supposed to accept any of this when all of these people who are proclaiming it are full of shit? Like it, 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 it gets really exhausting. And that's why perhaps more than a lot of people in my camp or the people I associate with, I have a lot of like respect and uh, like, and I try to approach other like, like atheists and stuff with like a humility because it's like, I kind of get it. Like, cause I kind of like, I, I, I mean, I walked that path, but then, you know, just instead of losing my faith, I kind of, you know, I went a different direction and tried to like, you know, connect to my faith and connect to the Bible, but like to throw away the traditions of man and to be like, I want to get back to like what the core of it was about. I want to get back to, to what it was before all these per- perversions uh, came in and took over. But it, it is a hard thing to object to when someone looks at me and goes like, well, if this is true. How come so many people are falling short? And it's not that like, it's kind of like the, uh, what is it, like the two quote fallacy where it's like, you know, you're pointing out someone's hypocrisy um, as a argument against them. And it's like, well, it's not that it's, it's not an actual argument in terms of like, it, it, you know, like logically it doesn't prove that the Christianity is wrong, but it does kind of make it hard for people to take you seriously if you're being extremely hypocritical, right? It'd be kind of like saying, hey, uh, I have a diet that is guaranteed to, you know, lose you 100 pounds in six months and I'm, I weigh 400 pounds. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, you know, it's like, and even if my diet, like, you know, you can't say your diet doesn't work because you weigh 400 pounds. Like, that's not tech, like the diet might work and I just don't follow it. But I can't expect people to take me seriously if I'm not walking the walk. You know what I mean? And I think maybe, that's the problem. I mean, hey, like we look at our own, our shared religious belief of of liberty and, and the Mises caucus and all that. That's propelled by us, like seeing our own uh, brothers in the faith, not uh, being hypocrites and stuff like that. Yeah. And just not like selling the message hard. But um, it, me losing my faith or rejecting it, however, it, it was kind of happened in my early 20s, just kind of I've raised Christian. We kind of Protestant, which is kind of the norm down here, different, you know, different sex of it or whatever. Uh, pretty much every one of my cousins that aren't like in the military or like a preacher or married to a preacher or something to that nature. So I got you know, different blends of like Bab- Baptist to Church of God, Church of Christ, these different like versions of it, Methodist, that kind of thing. Um, early in my teens, like my 
folks kind of like quit going to church, but more embrace just kind of like reading the Bible and like focusing more on like just the Bible, kind of like in a, a Lutheran sense or whatever of just like the church's man has warped the version of of what of the word is. And, you know, I kind of followed in in that and like really started studying the Bible and, and that kind of thing. Always was a blasphemous shit. Always kind of like like to giggle about shit. But um, the stuff that really I started hitting a road, a roadblock with was just kind of my perception of morality versus the perception of morality of that, that is presented in the Bible. I am, of course, there's the obvious, you know, little things about, um, I mean, do you want me to go down the list of like all my components? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I mean, like, you know, I don't know how many there are, I mean, like, you know, pick like your like top three, like the things that, that bother you the most. Okay. Um, the main core of like all of it is I think like everything boils down to just being obedient to God. Like, um, Hmm. that, that even like just at the point of like, when you don't believe, like just accepting the faith is just almost like you're just, the only thing is like, make sure you're, you're kneeling to God being, which, you know, that sounds very blasphemous, I'm sure to a Christian audience, but I just, I think honestly, it's like, it sets you up for like a slave mind. Yes. Yes. I get what you mean. It kind of like, or like the way I felt sometimes when I've struggled with this is like, am I supposed to like, is obedience to God and faith in God supposed to be like, turn my mind off. Don't think about things critically. Just like, just have blind allegiance to this. And, and when you get to like, like just talk about Adam and Eve right there, like the tree of knowledge and that kind of like just not pursuing that knowledge that God doesn't want you to see or, or accept or something to that nature. It's like, is it, it honestly, it sets us up for, um, it, not reaching for the stars as a species, like not, not pushing forward, not uh, honestly, not focusing on the reality that we're in that, that, I don't know. I'm sure that there's a lot of really good answers that people could come up with that to, you know, but that, that would be my main beef. Sure. One of the triggering moments I had was like a followed a a guy that was a preacher kind of went through the Bible. His name was Les Felder, old, old dude. He would just read the Bible and kind of like go through each book, listen to it on a podcast on the tracker all the time. And I always, looked at that dude as almost one of the like he was he was not a hypocrite he was doing it right he was a simple you know just simple dude that was just presenting it as is looking back there was a lot of stuff that he said that like i'm like oh my god how did i not just instantly turn it off but not that it was bad but like just kind of silly arguments for the age of the earth and all kind of weird shit in my defense, I was a teenager just listening to it and just going, okay, yeah, 4,000 years doesn't sound too crazy. But <laughs> but um, one of the things that really was almost like a moment where I'm like, okay, this guy's not. The best was when he was like, he was talking about California and New York City as like a modern day Sodom and Gomorrah. 
which is a thing that a lot of people talk about now. And especially like in today's time, we can look at that as like lost cities or lost states or whatever, just from the, the COVID regime or whatever, um, which I, I would just argue it's just population. Like when you get these population density and, um, you know, bureaucratic control of everything, state control, people just start going crazy on stuff. Um, but what he was focused on was homosexuality and degeneracy is what he was talking about. And then I just, I just got problems with that. Like, I, I don't think the rejection of people's sexual preferences is some sort of like moral positive, if you know what I mean. Like, I think I almost look at it as like, and they, I, I mean, you know, it's the modern sensibilities of just like looking down at somebody that would be an, a, a bigot or something towards homosexuals. Not that most modern Christians are, but it's almost like, why yeah. would the creator of the universe be considered? Be sure. Yeah. yeah. I feel like the first concern you have makes the second concern worse. And it, what I mean by that is, um, because I wrestled through all this stuff, and I feel like the problem is so many Christians uh, teach the Bible as this, like, um, the Bible, you know, it's just true because the Bible says so. And, and that's it. And it's like, turn your mind off, don't think about it, don't don't question it, and, you know, shaming people for, for, for even asking questions at times. Um, the, what, what I found, you know, in, in my journey since wrestling through this stuff is that I find that the, the problem is there's a lot of people who left the church or who in the church, sometimes there's people who, who stay in the church, but they just reject kind of like out of hand. Oh, well, all this stuff in the Bible I don't like. It's just not from God. It's just from man. You know what I mean? And like the very progressive kind of Christians. And it's just the, and you know, it's like, it's like Christian, like diet Christianity. It's just like, you know, we're going to pick and choose all the, all the stuff we like and, and get rid of the rest, uh, which, which I kind of have a problem with. Cause to me, it's like, I mean, if half of it's crap, why is the other half not crap? Like that just never, I could never go down that road. Cause I was just like, how am I like, it's all or nothing. It's like, I either drink the Kool-Aid or, you know, I'm going to bow out. It's like, I'm not going to sit here and like micro, you know, like, 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 you know, micromanage the Bible and be like, you know, cause at that point it's like, it's inevitably going to just look like what I think is right and wrong. Um, which is like, well, then I'm just worshiping myself. So that's just, that's not Christianity. Um, but I think the problem is, well, the conclusion I guess I came to was if God is real, then the things that he has said are good and the things that he has said are evil, they're, they have to be good and evil for reasons that are just beyond, uh, well, they're good and evil just because, like, I said they're good, good and evil, and it's just like, you know, that's it. It's like, to me, it's like, it's like God doesn't make stupid rules. That's kind of the way I put it. Uh, coming at that, though, from fear of the, the entity? Like, a fear of, like, what he's going to do to you? <laughs> like, well, not really, no, because I, 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 um, I wouldn't say I'm coming at it from fear at all. I'm coming at it from a, you know, more of an intellectual curiosity um, and, and trying to reconcile things. Um, you get what I'm saying, though, like almost like, um, you know, the fear of like 
well, if God says it, it's good. Cause if it ain't good and I don't do it, he's going to throw me in a ball of fire. And yeah. See, I, I, see, that's just, that's not the kind of Christianity I was raised in. So maybe it's just different. Like I was not raised in the type of Christian circles where there's a lot of like uh, fear mongering over hell and where you're going to spend eternity. I mean, like I'd hear that once in a while, but that was never the focus. And that's never been the, uh, the root of my walk with God has never been fear. It's always been love. It's always been, I want to follow after God because it makes my life better. Now it's not even because I care about heaven, like the afterlife and like, where I'm going to spend eternity, you know, whether it's heaven or hell, I don't think about that at all. Like as I go through my day-to-day, uh, you know, dealings and as I live my life and as I think about, you know, what is right and what is wrong, it's never in consideration of, oh, well, crap, if I do this, you know, am I going to go to hell? Or if I do, if I, if I don't repent or, you know what I mean? Like it's never, I, I'm not saying, like, like, you know, sometimes maybe when I'm, you know, there's sometimes when I thought about that, I'm not going to say never, but it's, it's not my primary motivation. Like my primary motivation is that like, if God is real and I can know him now, why wouldn't I pursue that? And if God is real and he has laid out the way in which I can best live my life, I want to grab a hold of that because I want to live the best life possible. I want to live a, a life of meaning and purpose um, I, I guess if there's anything that I'm afraid of, it's I'm not afraid of hell. I'm afraid of a life devoid of meaning and purpose. I'm afraid of of what I think the uh, I, I guess what what my concern is is that, is that I think atheism and and uh, naturalism inherently it, it's hard for that not to lead to nihilism in my mind, and that's what I'm afraid of. Is I'm afraid I'm afraid of nihilism, but. So I, if there's going to be any any fear motivation, I guess to, to you know just to be, uh, you know, like I'm not trying to hide anything and just like whitewash everything to be like it's all hunky dory. Like, like you know, there there definitely is probably some fear elements to it, but I think it's a fear of nihilism and a fear of moral relativism where anything becomes permissible um, because there is no ultimate good or bad. Um, it's all just subjective at that point. Um, but but there's also an intellectual part where it's like I, I think because I believe in God and because I, I, I have experiences that I can't reconcile without, you know, in my personal life without believing that, you know, there was a God behind it. And, and so then I'm like, well, if God is real, then I don't think that he makes rules that are arbitrary. You know what I mean? It's not like God was like, uh, okay, what are we going to do? Uh, you know, uh, straight relationships or, or, uh, uh, gay relationships, and he flipped a coin. He was like, "Oh, we're doing straight ones. Gay ones are bad, and I'm gonna kill them if they do it." Like, like it's just not like for me. It's like if there is a reason why homosexuality is wrong, there has to be something about it that is is wrong or not preferable or that leads to outcomes over time that that aren't good. And so I think that's part of the problem that I see is that the church has become so weak that they don't give good answers to people. It's just, this is true because the Bible says it's true. Not, well, the Bible says this, and let's go on a journey to understand, well, first of all, make sure we're understanding exactly what it says. And then second of all, to understand why it's there. And, and, and you know, even if that doesn't, I'm not expecting that, like, 
you know, persuades you all at once, like, oh, I was wrong. But like, that's the kind of Christianity that we don't see enough of and that I think turns people off. Even people that maybe wouldn't believe in it. It's like, there's something that I think you could even say maybe that is more respectable about the second than the first. You know, like there's something more respectable about a religion that is more intellectually rigorous. And that's like, that's that's not just, you know, telling you to turn your, your brain off, but the one that's rather, you know, saying this is a, a this is a journey of pursuing the truth and trying to understand the greater mysteries of the universe. Like that's the Christian tradition that I feel I'm a part of. Uh, but I, I do agree with you that in too many cases, that's not what Christians are doing. Do, do you think like, not, not to say like it's not wholly inspired or whatever, but like the, like you're basically, if it's in there, it's God's will to, for it to be in there verse to verse. And that, that that's, yeah. I mean, I think that the, the Bible is what God intended it to be, but, but there are also ways in which we can track uh, translations and different, so many different trans translations out there, obviously, and we can track the ones that have stayed truer or at least the most true to the original language and, and, and meaning versus versus ones where we can tell that there was political motivations behind obfuscating the meaning. And, and it's, it's actually not um, that hard to see that. Like there are clear, examples where we can go back and look at early manuscripts of things in the new Testament and see they were written one way. And then we go to the King's James version and see, Oh, wow. They just like flat rewrote it. <laughs> and, and so obviously, you know, I, you know, I, I do believe in like what, I guess like the phrase is like the inerrancy of scripture. And I believe that all of it is God breathed and, and God inspired and the word of God. But that doesn't mean like, there doesn't again there's an intellectual rigorousness that needs to come into play there because um i don't think that i don't think it's proper for someone to just pick up a bible and just read it cover to cover and be like oh i understand all this now um sure, i think that there's... so what i guess um all right like backing up a few a few segments here like sure. we were talking about like the morality of homosexuality. How about that? Where, sure. Other than just like, you know, boys and girls make babies. Like what, what do you see as like the moral decay of, of like a, a homosexuality or like, why would God be concerned with that? Is what um, I, so, so there's, there's a lot of different ways you can go about it. Um, the first would be uh, like, I think the most obvious is like, if the norm of the species was uh, relationships and intercourse that did not lead to reproduction, the species dies out. So that's kind of, you know, inherently like, you know, has to be, there has to, even if we were going to take like the weakest point of view to be like, well, homosexuality isn't a sin. There's a reason why the norm would want to be established to be heterosexuality and, um, and, 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 you know, monogamous, uh, you know, male, female relationships, you know, that, that's certainly one, you know, foundational point. Uh, the other would be like, what is sex and what does it represent in a spiritual sense? And, uh, and then what are 
why did God create us male and female and what were the reasons for that? And the reasons why God made us male and female is because uh, there's a lot of reasons. For, for one, it's a representation of the relationship between Christ and his bride being the church. Uh, the second being that uh, on, a, on a more personal level that, you know, men and women, God, this is part of God's design that he made man for woman and woman for man. And, and that th- this is uh, the way that uh, God intended for us to live in a way that is most in keeping with a pursuit after him and in a way that's also uh, the best for our own good. And that's for our own good on an individual level and on like a communal level. And I'd say on a, you know, species level, there's multiple considerations there. Um, And I'd say in a more general sense, the Bible views morality and things of right and wrong as more than just like, it's obviously not thin NAP libertarianism. Like libertarianism is just concerned with, well, is it aggression? And if it's aggression, it's bad. And if it's not, it's permissible. Uh, but but with the Bible and what what God's going after, it's 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 deeper than that. It's um, is obedience. what you're doing. Um, well, it's I don't think it's blind obedience. I think it's uh, is what you're doing to the benefit of your soul and to the benefit of society. And then insofar as obedience is a part of it, it's because, and this is something I think like Jordan Peterson has done a great job at giving like an argument for that isn't strictly from the Bible. Like Jordan Peterson makes the same argument I'm about to make, but makes it from a psychological perspective. Because Jordan Peterson says like just through the study of the human psyche that the way we operate is we worship. We put something at the top of our hierarchy of values and we orient our life around it in a way that is akin to worship or akin to that thing becomes our God. And that is the way that humans behave, both on an individual level and on a like collective societal level. And the reason why obedience is important is not because of like, well, you just need to be a slave and, and need to be... Uh, you know, turn your brain off and not be intellectual, but it's because if you don't orient yourself around the truth and you don't orient yourself uh, where you're worshiping uh, God, when you put something else there, it leads to disaster either for society or for you on a personal level uh, or, or often both. So it's kind of like if you, you know, especially what most people put there, if it's not God is themselves, and I think that the, the problem is a little bit, and, and this is where I'm going to sound a lot. Let me just, the, 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 my last point here, this is where I'll, I'll have a lot of agreement with, and I'll sound a lot like the Praxians. But I do think that a lot of it has to do with time preference. And where I think a lot of libertarians who, you know, are more like you, maybe secular atheists, and, and they don't understand why Christians care about certain things like homosexuality, I think it's a time preference thing. And I think that, you know, Hoppe was kind of right when he said that some behaviors are, uh, you know, more high time preference than others. And that it, it's hard for people to see like, well, this just they'll look at it in a very high time preference way and go, well, they're not hurting anybody and there's no immediate consequence. So where's the problem? But God is able to see things from a more 
eternal and and you know uh, complex perspective where he sees well these things well maybe not immediately causing uh physical or emotional harm in the moment if allowed to be normalized in society lead to a downward spiral and further degeneracy and and destruction in society and on the individual level so it's it you know the, it, it's complicated it's not like it's easy to explain why theft is wrong it's easy to explain why murder is wrong you know it's easy to explain some things but other things it's like there's not always going to be like something can be bad but not it's not going to be like it's sort of like i guess like the best analogy i've ever heard is like um when uh nasa scientists are launching space probes they can only you know if they make an error by like let's say their calculation is off by a like uh like 0.1 to like the negative 10th power right like so like zero point you know, like sure. 30 zeros one off. Yeah. But they're sending the probe to Mars. That little bit off, you're not going to notice it as it's leaving Earth. You're not going to notice it even probably as it's, you know, passing the moon even. Or maybe they'll start to notice that's eh, a little, you know, it may, you know, whatever. You might, you probably wouldn't notice it. But then by the time it's supposed to get to Mars, it's like, oh, wow, it's, you know, uh, like, you know, several light years off. And I think this is kind of where, you know, God is like some of the things in the Bible that God, that, that the Bible talks about as being wrong, as being things that we're supposed to not do. It's it, those are like they're wrong because of where they lead um, more so than than what immediately happens. If I was God, I would have focused a little bit more on like don't own, own other human beings and uh, less on homosexuality. You get what what I'm saying there, like, well, I wouldn't say he focused on homosexuality too much. I mean, there's only like six sure. verses in the whole Bible that really guess, talk yeah, about yeah. this. So I think sure. Christians as a whole, like, so even though I agree, so like, I, 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 again, I piss everybody off. <laughs> so Me it's too. like, <laughs> like, I agree that homosexuality is wrong, but then I don't agree with some Christians where it's like it becomes like uh, a primary focus of theirs. Like, for me, it's like, uh yeah i care a lot more about war and even like abortion and other things that i view as like these things are more pressing than like someone being in a homosexual relationship like do i think you know like you know what i mean it's like i don't have to equate all of those things as being equally bad and equally worth my time um you know what i mean so and even the bible like the, the there are some things the bible clearly uh, emphasizes because it talks about it over and over again and some things that are less important um uh as far as the slavery thing um the the slavery is always kind of like up until very recent history existed kind of universally and so there's a lot of things and this so like in the sermon of the mount uh jesus tells them i permitted divorce not because i am pro-divorce but because you are too wicked of a people for me not to have permitted divorce. He's like, if I would have not given you a way to divorce each other, you would have like ended up killing each other. And I would have ended up killing you because you would have been so disobedient. And, and, and there's a lot of things that God permits, not in a sense of like uh, in the Bible where he's permitting them, not in a sense of like holding them up as this is, you know, the most virtuous path. 
but more so there are it's like legal things that God allowed in those moments in time because um because he was understanding of how wicked and fallen the people were which is which is also self-evident by the fact that like we look at the old testament law and we rightfully look at it and go this is this seems barbaric (laughs) we go what the heck like this is just like you know some of the things in there are like completely out of the ballpark of like what we view as normal today but compared to First of all, there's two points. One, compared to like the civilizations around them, it was actually kind of evolved. Cause like, so like, here's, here's a really good example. Like, uh, back then it was just like, oh, if your kids, you didn't like them, just kill them. Like, child sacrifice used to be a huge thing. And the, uh, the, the, the Old Testament law, people will focus on, there's a passage in there about being able to stone your kids. But actually, what the passage does is it says, you cannot stone your kids unless you first take them before a trial of your peers and can convince all your peers that, you know, your kids have committed something that's, you know, justifies you to stone them. Yeah. yeah, It's progress. Right. Right. Exactly. And And so God was like, all right, if I ban slavery, they're going to keep slaves. He's like, so here's what I'm going to do. You have to treat your slaves. Well, if you kill them, you're guilty of murder. Okay. Every seven years, slaves get set free. Debts get wiped clean. You know, it's, yeah, it's a. I get what you're saying, and that's kind of how yeah. I view, like, from a secular point, like vision of like looking at Christianity as almost like I look at it as like almost like a code set that most of a huge chunk of humanity follows under, differentiating, you know, sex or whatever. But, but like, it is like it got us past the caveman and like you know, into the Renaissance or whatever, if you will. And then like now I think I do value modern morality over the morality that's displayed in the Bible. Uh, I would, I would now, like you say, you're not too worried about homosexuality because you see all the other evils and the obvious evils in the world. And like, I, I, you know, it bugs me that a little bit that, you know, you're like, I think this, you know, this gay couple, you know, is a little bit whatever. You don't, it doesn't jive with your personal beliefs, but it doesn't prevent me from being like your friend and your ally. And like, and like, I'm, I'm friends, good friend. I mean, like, I've had sure. James, I've, I've had James Gentleman, who's in the Mises Caucus in the movement of my podcast, probably more than anyone. And he's, gay yeah. in an active gay relationship like yeah. and you i don't look at me like being an atheist it's kind of the same way you just see us like we're living wrong or whatever and, well, but we're still your friends but you but, know? but even more so than that like we're like i don't even view it just that way i view it as we're all living wrong like yeah. i'm i'm a sinner too <laughs> like uh you know for some people their sin might be they struggle with homosexuality i struggle with all sorts of crap that i'm not perfect on uh, you know, I don't think that God plays favorites with certain types of sinners where it's like, oh, all the straight sinners, they're okay, but all the gay sinners, fuck them. Yeah, like, that's sure. not a biblical or Christ like perspective in the least bit. Um, you know, I, I'm not so I think a lot of people, uh, and this is where I'll sound a bit like I guess a Lalbert or something, but I, I think it's true that a lot of Christians focus on this issue because of bigotry and less so out of what the Bible makes an emphasis on. 
mm-hmm. um, you know, I care a lot more about what is in conflict with like, you know, Jesus said the two most important commandments are to love God with all your heart and to love your neighbor as yourself. It's like, cool. Well, if you love your neighbor as yourself, you don't drop bombs on them. Yeah. <laughs> you don't, yeah. you don't, you don't, you don't advocate for uh, half their wealth to be stolen at gunpoint. You don't lock them in cages for using marijuana or psychedelic mushrooms. Yeah. You know what I mean? You don't, here's something that makes you know that's divisive in the Mises caucus uh you don't lock them in internment camps because they crossed an imaginary line in the sand set up by uh, a bunch of politicians that live thousands of miles away <laughs> for sure hey I'm yeah. Indian, man. I so it, yeah boy, so I could talk for a while on the immigration thing right <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, you, it, that's something where you and I are completed like you know I'm you know I even told Dave I was like when I watched his debate with Spike, it's like I, I felt like you did a good job, you know, making that argument. But like, I, I still cannot find myself yeah. to to like, like I could never, like I don't want to cancel or like push out the, the libertarians like Dave, who are a bit more on the border restrictions. I wouldn't even call like Dave's not really for closed borders. He's just anti open borders, and it's, it's like I respect that. It's just a messaging thing. He doesn't want yeah. to like embrace the libertarian point of right. view. Right. Like, Whereas my perspective is that like if you could open the borders, the state would almost collapse. Especially the welfare state sure. would almost have to cease to exist. Well, even not looking at it at a collapsitarian point, like how does like not the easy answer just be Ellis Island style open borders? Yeah. Um, non citizens can't vote or get welfare. Right. Like, I mean, easy peasy, easy peasy. Let's all just get back to work. I mean, yeah. the, on my, our farm here, like a Mexican family, like worked with us for years, almost became like, you know, very close with them. And over the last 20 years, like they had to like leave and go back home to Mexico. And like, I just kind of like locked there. They had children that were born here in America and stuff like that and getting Americanized. And I have personal friends from like high school that were just like, you know, their, their moms or something would have been an illegal immigrant. And then they're like naturalized citizens, but then they still have to handle this stuff where like their mom gets fucking picked up by the, ice agents and and, right. that, and it still happens you know people like to poo poo that and act like it's you know a lulbert position to be offended by that but i mean our border is overly militarized oh, yeah. and the the immigration process has destroyed it the government's involvement in the immigration process has destroyed anything like from well you know, uh, our, our system is almost like the worst possible situation like i would almost I'm, I'm i'm not for a border wall but i would almost be for like a totally closed borders of just preventing them from getting in in the first place than what we have now because it's I, like in terms of like it's it's less authoritarian to keep them out than it is to like have this really crappy system where they come in and then you lock them up and you commit all this violence against them and then compounded with all the crap that happens with the cartels and the sex trafficking that's perpetuated by the war on drugs i mean it's just it's a nightmare it's an absolute nightmare what what goes on on at the borders it is um, so detaining those people is part of that border wall you're never going to have a perfect border wall 
Yeah. You're never going to have, it's just not going to happen. It's as much of a dream as like anarchy or whatever. So why don't we just focus on anarchy and not focus on no immigration into the United States and not that they're, I'm not trying to like say they're advocating that, but like, no, just dragging your feet on saying abolish ice is pissing me off. I love Dave Smith. I really don't want to be like the next Archie flower or nothing. He does say we should abolish ice. I know, but he says it in such a way of like opening the borders would destroy the nation, but obviously, you know, abolish ice and all that stuff, but we cannot be open borders. And it's like, that's, he's not, I feel like, I don't I think his point is like philosophically, it's wrong to say we're for open borders. And yeah. I kind of agree with him there. Like, yeah, I'm not really for open borders on a philosophical sense, but like in terms of a, like compared to what we have now, what direction should I, what I want to head in? Like, well, it'd be wrong to say I want to head in a closed borders direction. I definitely want to head in a. Well, how can you be more like philosophically an a, a uh, anarchist and not philosophically open borders? You know, like an anarchist. I guess like the phrase that a lot of, anarcho-capitalist Austrian types prefer is private borders. You know, is is the yeah. they prefer to use that, which I, I kind of agree with. But in we a have sense, to be a collectivized but, nation for that to be a collective property. You know, the border, that kind of thing. It's like that's definitely collectivist language that we're starting to use to defend our nation or whatever. I uh, I don't know. We're talking about you know collapsing the federal government and stuff, but we can't. We're dragging our feet on the damn border wall. It's it's fucking crazy to me. I, I really yeah. hope, I really hope Dave just kind of step takes a step back from being right on every other issue. He's won every debate he's ever been in. He always crushes it. I think he lost that spike debate, and a lot of our people are in shock that. And maybe he, you know, just isn't really looking at it from that perspective. But. I don't know. I have no fucking issue with immigrants. I, I don't see the negative unless you're putting them on the welfare state and we're not going to abolish the welfare state and we can't stop immigration. Tomorrow. I, I will say, so like there, there's one critique and Dave didn't get into this too much, which I, I was kind of surprised. He, he kind of did, but he did it differently than I've heard it in the past. Like one thing you do have to worry about with open immigration while the state exists is, and this is something that triggers a lot of, you know, uh, lawber types, maybe it'll trigger you, but it's something Hoppe and Tom Woods talked about before, which is like the issue of forced integration. And, but like, I've seen this firsthand, like when you have too much, like the state kind of like letting a bunch of people in all at once. And then all these people end up in like, you know, like areas, especially heavily urbanized areas, it can create a lot of racial tensions. And I've seen that, like, I mean, I'm not even just talking like I'm not it's not even primarily whites versus blacks. Like it's like blacks versus Hispanics and uh, you know, or blacks versus uh like Muslim communities moving in. Like there's a lot of tensions when suddenly like a group of people who've been there for a while see a bunch of other people who are drastically different all kind of moving in and it's kinda of happening faster than what might happen in a more natural setting. Um, I get what you're saying there. And yeah, yeah. Uh, we my community here has seen it too in influxes and stuff. And there's always like that, um, you know, when I was a very young child, there was a huge like Haitian immigration to the area mm-hmm. and stuff. And the, you know, or the African American community hated the Haitian community. Like they fought all the time. They hated each other and stuff like that. And then just like, 
you know, some Haitians moved on and some became natural citizens. Again, like later after that, um, there was a huge influx of, of Mexican Americans or Mexicans, whatever. And then, you know, most of them integrated into our society. And then like, you know, some of them became, you know, my best friends, you know, in, you know, growing up in high school. Yeah. They uh, got like to do the special English classes that was really easy or whatever that was set up for Spanish kids and that kind of shit. Or Yeah. But it, I don't think this is an issue we as libertarians need to even be focused on, but like a lot of the things that we don't need to be like. Yeah, I mean, it's probably not. It's not an area I focus on too much, but like when the subject comes up, because some people will be like, oh, well, nothing bad happens from open borders. It's like, well, that's not true. Bad things happen. I, I think bad like, things. That's like the, anarchy, like bad shit yeah, happens in the exactly. real world. But Exactly. So it's like, I think to be fair, it's like, yeah, bad things happen. I just think the bad things that happen on that side of the ledger are more manageable than the bad things that happen on the closed border side of the ledger, which is just a catastrophe, uh, in my opinion, in so many ways, especially like think about all the reasons we're against COVID passports, right? Yeah. It's like for all the same reasons I'm against the COVID passports is the reasons why I'm against at the very least against federal control of the movement of people um now I'm, I'm less opposed to states and local municipalities having their own regulations about about people moving and stuff but um but this is an area where we've you know we've had some debates over 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 that too kind of like the federal versus state rights and stuff and i don't know if you had a chance though i had that debate with that uh that girl uh rachel earlier in the week and we got into that on abortion yeah. and uh and stuff like that but um, i watched most of it um yeah it yeah good debate i mean um and i'm not necessarily like a champion of the federal government my point is more just like which government is giving more freedom to the individual like playing both sides if the states if the state is pushing constitutional carry states right all the way if the federal government is defending reproductive rights, that's where I'm at. Um, I know that probably just made enemies on both sides. <laughs> but right. Yeah. What you um, know, I am for pro killing. Whatever. <laughs> 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 but, but uh, you get what I mean. Like I'm, I'm, I'm not a, you know, constitutionalist, but I'll defend the constitution when it's defending my rights to free speech or whatever like that. Like I'm, I'm here for whatever tool is in my way or is in the state's way of putting its boot on my throat or my neighbor's throat or, or what have you. I guess there's like times in the moment where if, and the problem is I'm having a hard time thinking of any, I'm sure there, it's probably got to exist, but you know, if there was a point in time where I needed to invoke something from the federal government to enforce a personal right of mine, I don't know. I guess I probably could. I guess there's stuff in the Constitution I would invoke. The Second Amendment, freedom I guess, is something speech, we, we, right. we, yeah, freedom of speech. Um, I, I don't know. I, I guess that's that is kind of a good, that's a good counter argument to I guess what my natural position is. I guess I'm just like such such an anarchist that like. I'm always kind of aimed towards making the federal government less normalized and like making it less like I want people to the more I can convince people that the federal government isn't required for something like the better off I think we are 
Um, and, and I make that argument too in the outside yeah. world, like to normies, like I will be like the federal government isn't the end all be all, you know, savior of our existence. And if it abolished and I got to pick arguing with my neighbors over funding the genocides across the world, I'll, I'll fucking pick arguing with my neighbors. But I live in a county that doesn't let me buy beer on a Sunday or sell wine on a Sunday. Um, the, so, the, so, so you would, so, and I guess it gets, it kind of gets into the, like the, it's a little bit of a gray area because like on one hand you could argue that you could maybe nullify some of that stuff at the local level but i guess even the act nullifications invoking the 10th amendment of the constitution so like i don't know i i guess it's a little bit of a you know it's all kind state of a gray solutions area. so none of it's perfect like the state right. is, in, right. is, is you know a monopoly of violence and we're just arguing like who has the right you know the state or the i'm focused on the individual I don't, I don't, I'm not a state's right guy. At least the nullification though is like you're nullifying the federal government using something from the federal government. But with like the abortion one, it was like people were saying, well, we need, we need to keep Roe versus Wade to keep states from uh, restricting abortion rights. And I was like, I just, that I can't, and I don't, it's not even from a abortion standpoint being what pro if, life that I'm against that. It's just for me, it's like, but now we're giving the federal government more power to control what states do, which is now you're using an imperfect solution, but towards a direction that to me is centralizing power. Even if you could say, well, it's centralizing power, but it's protecting rights. It's like, yeah, but over the long haul are, I think more rights are being harmed by giving the government like the more we normalize the act of the federal government telling state governments what to do, the more we're justifying that. Well, obviously we need the federal government to protect individual rights. And to me, that's just dangerous for libertarians to be engaging in because I mean, that's how, that's how the state justifies its existence is it creates a problem and then advertises itself as the solution. And if we, play that game, I think we're kind of hurting ourselves. I'm with you there to a very big degree. Like uh, it's a dangerous game to play for advocating the federal government's right over anything, but it's not the only state that we have to live under. I, uh, the state government can be even more totalitarian, you know, true, but it's a lot easier to leave your state, your state than it is your country. Like I can move. I can't move. I'm a farmer. This is my land, you know, fucking well i mean it's always hard to move no matter what i mean but yeah, like yeah, but, but like i'm just saying comparing like it, it would, it's even as hard as it is for you to to leave georgia it would be at least a hundred times easier for you to move from georgia to what's the next state over uh out, out mississippi alabama or alabama fucking live there oh yeah man. true Fuck that <laughs> idea no i, I was saying like, saying like like it's easier for to move to a state than it is to be like oh, i'm gonna move to mexico like but that's not my hard. that's not my prerogative. My prerogative is to stay on this farm and like it's just yeah. I'm, I don't care about the argument if it's going to end up being you know a fucking theocracy in Georgia or something like that. Like I'm not I'm not into that. Not that I think that's a you know a reality that we would be living in. But if it's the state's right, you know. <sighs> You know, people. A lot of people down here are obsessed with the Civil War and stuff. Yeah, and you're kind of like soaked. It's soaked in our culture just as much as the Bible. 
And, you know, the federal government made that decision that they were the supreme authority during the Civil War. Uh, right. My state was one of the ones that really got made an example of, and they, you know, burned the fucking state down. Um, <clears throat> that's Sherman, you know, like Georgia. We we really remember that. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna say, I, I know the South. Uh, yeah, yeah. S- s- the South probably views uh, 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 no, Sherman no. in a way that like Jews view Hitler. <laughs> probably <laughs> not. I mean, yeah, not that. Not to that not degree. That, that, that kind of like step below. Yeah, kind of shit. But like it is rough. I mean, he burned down like entire communities and farms and sh- I mean, it was you oh, know, sure. yeah. people Burn. that didn't even own slaves probably just like, yeah, you're here. Fuck you. Like set hey, me that, on fire. <laughs> that's the nature of war. You know, it's just like yeah. innocence and, and the guilty are all thrown into, you know, the chaos of it. But like that, that point of like, all right, so the federal government did, you know, stop the South from seceding and stuff which was is not something that i'm like celebrating but i'm saying the constitutions that we had set up for the state of georgia are nothing that i would want to live under it is like a christian nationalist state that's to hate i hate to use progressive language but it's the language that like it's setting up in the constitution is like white supremacy like it is explicitly like setting up the state to ensure the you know the right to on slaves and shit and definitely focusing on like a more a less secular founding document yeah than what what we have which is something i value uh and i i think i value like it you, mean, you value too like it, it's got a oh yeah a, a government has to be secular it, it can't, I, yeah it can't I, I agree and the, the, I, that, that's the one thing we definitely agree on is like i think government whether it's minarchist or anarchist I obviously prefer the anarchist forms of governance, but no matter what forms of governance you have, they I think they inherently have to be secular. And what I mean by that isn't that Christians can't serve in governance. I just think that yeah. the, the, the system is founded on a body of laws that isn't inherently like Christian or in the same way it shouldn't be Muslim or yeah. Jewish or Hindu or anything. It should be, you know, I guess or like... Satanic. Right, like it should just be, it should be like, a, a whatever like a religious like a pol- like i'm trying to think i don't know if that's a term or not but i was thinking like there's like a political you want it to be a, 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 a <laughs> oh gosh that's, i get that's what you're saying yeah it's well that's what it is it's like without any type of religious being like the religious right. is like talking about well it shouldn't be not, anti-theist either you know what i mean like it shouldn't be like you know oh, fuck religion it should just be like religion is not a factor here this yeah. is just a body of laws. The state uh, can go to some yeah. dark places being anti-theist just as much as it yeah. can be a, a theocracy. Well, anti-theism right? is almost like ironic theism, isn't it? Kind <laughs> of for some then, people, it's like it's just like your religion is just I hate religion. <laughs> which, you know, I guess I'm kind of anti-theist, but I'm just not trying to be a dick about it and trying to be respectful. The older I grow and more you know, I'm I'm accepting to learn or whatever if you know if i'm being too much of a hateful atheist or whatever but I, I, i've um, never gotten that vibe from you but well you didn't know me five years ago I mean, yeah i got buddies that are just christians that i just tortured on the couch with a million atheist questions just you know just interrogating right. them. we're drinking and trying i got to friends like that i mean there's some <laughs> there are some really like funny and challenging uh like anti-christian like atheist memes out there i i like the one that's like uh i don't, I don't like it but i mean it's kind of funny like, i don't know i can laugh at myself it's like 
it's like uh and then i sent myself to sacrifice myself to keep myself from like is it like kind of like like playing on the the trinity and the jesus story and it's like yeah like if you play the word game it does sound kind of confusing and the, put it like in jesus format. is knocking yeah. on the door he's like let me in and it's like wow it's like for what i'm gonna do to you if you don't <laughs> right yeah <laughs> yeah well, it's, it's, you know but hey i mean it's all different schools of thought and uh you know i'm I'm not here to say I'm right. It's just the perspective I've came to and kind of like the moral set. I'm okay with us all coming at this shit from different perspectives. As long as we're like trying to engage in each other on voluntary basis and trying to like persuade each other without force, which means you, right. you know, we, we accept that fully. Well, right. And, and I, and what game. I'm, what I'm hoping to do through conversations like this and just, just with my podcast and activism in general is like, I'm trying to model for other Christians. I think what, you know, to model exactly what you just put out there to be like, to me, like that is what we need to get back to is like, I don't think that it's our job to browbeat people into accepting our beliefs. It's not. And it's certainly not biblical to use the sword to compel people to, to our beliefs. Like if anything, that's my, main critique of islam is that um you know like that is a bit more harder like it's a bit it's a bit more muddy if islam has as part of its religion to use the sword to you know uh because it, it gets contradictory there are parts of it that say you should and parts of it that say you shouldn't but uh, the, the, the idea like the either the man the or the god or the idea of jesus um calmed down the abrahamic religion in a way it made it a pacifist at least in a bent like oh yeah i mean i mean they're just the idea that like jesus is god and what did he do like he came down and there's something like and i wonder if you like i don't know how much appreciation you have for it but like even if you just view it as a story it's a it's not a to me it's just a like it's such a unique story that like god the father humbles himself to come down in in human form and then says this is how you lead and what he does is he washes his apostles feet and there's just something about that that like i bring that story up a lot because it's just like for me it just like blows my mind i'm just like i i and that's part of where my faith comes from is just i look at these stories and go um kind of like jordan peterson does it and i just go like there's just such depth to them and and I guess my, my biggest critique of some of the new atheist types like Sam Harris and uh, Dilla Hunty and uh, Hitchens and, and, and others is that not that they didn't make some good critiques that, that Christians need to contend with. But to me, it's like they would just focus on like the low hanging fruit and not like, you know, the, the power behind some of the narratives and the stories found in the Bible that are just like, you know, that's not something to me that is, you know, that, that it's a very most religions, I think, and sometimes the perception of Christianity, because I think people have warped it, is that like God is this wrathful being who's trying to control you and dominate you. And I'm like, OK, but where is that in the life of Jesus? Because to me, like the life of Jesus flies in the face of all of those conceptions, like like in his death and resurrection and, but for sure, but also just in his life uh, where he modeled 
that to, to be a leader is to be a servant. And I don't know, like that, to me, that is just, that's what Christianity needs to be and, and, and get back to. And um, I think Absolutely. if we could, that we could, you know, I think that's what Christianity needs to do for the sake of the gospel, but also the libertarian, it's like Christians should be, in my opinion, like if they actually took the Bible seriously, like they should be some of the most radical libertarians out there and they were for a couple hundred years if you study early church history like they really were really anti-statist how familiar are you with the uh gnostic christianity like a little bit i don't i don't agree with the gnostics they they all of the early church was pretty anti-statist but they they certainly uh they certainly were too i mean they they completely left (laughs) <laughs> they were like, you know, fuck this shit. And <laughs> kind of like the idea you were yeah. just talking about, about like, you know, the, the Jesus, uh, the pacifism of Jesus is almost like coming in like, almost as like a opposition to Yahweh, um, like almost fixing God. And, uh, you know, there's different versions of that. Like, right. See, like that's where I disagree. Cause to me, I don't view as Jesus in conflict with God, the father or the God of the old Testament. Mm-hmm. I just think it's, more of a progressive revelation and God, the old Testament was setting up the new Testament. Mm -hmm. It wasn't a contradiction, but it was like, to me, it's almost like the old Testament is almost a, here is why central planning and authoritarianism cannot make people good and does not bring people closer to God. That's a good, really, that's a fair, that's what happened. Like, like what's the story of Israel? It's like, did did having a theocracy work out? Yeah. No, not really. Like, not not from I mean, did it did it keep them safe? No, they got conquered over and over and over again. Did it keep them virtuous? No, they kept rebelling against God, and that's why God let them get conquered. Uh, you know, did it did it help them to bring other people to accept and know God? I don't see any evidence of that. And, you know, one one of the passages that's really crucial to like what I do is in first Samuel eight, where like the book of judges is basically Israel when it lived in a basically like anarcho covenant with God. Like there was no central ruler. The 12 tribes lived in a sort of like confederacy of sorts that was decentralized and just like each local community Governed themselves, and there was no centralized ruler. Um, and then the book of Judges ends out like in the last few chapters, and it, and this this line keeps being repeated, where it's like, and there was no king in the land, and everybody did what they thought was right in their own eyes. And then the book of First Samuel is when Israel is like asking for a king. They go to the prophet Samuel, and they go. We we want a king. We want to be like the countries around us that have a king that will fight. Because they were like they were like because you know they were tired of the responsibility of freedom. They they just got out of a civil war. They were like we're trying to figure out this shit ourselves to live peacefully and to live a good life for for you, God. But like we can't do it. It's too much work. We just want a king who will do it all for us. Who will just you know, settle everything, who will fight our battles, fight our wars, and, uh, you know, do everything for us so we don't have to do it. And then God told Samuel to give them a warning, said, 
this king is going to take your wealth. He's going to put your children in his wars to fight for for his reasons, and you will basically be his slaves. And it's not going to go well for you. But Israel says, no, give us a king anyway. And then the rest of the Old Testament is just like the consequences of that being borne out. That like, that doesn't work. Um, so that's that's kind of why I think the Gnostics got it wrong. And I think they don't understand. To me, I go back in the Old Testament and to me, it's like, it's a very cogent argument for liberty. Because it's kind of like, now listen, we, this is, you alluded to this earlier, actually, Will. Because you said, anarchy isn't utopia. Bad shit happens. And you know what? In the book of Judges, when they were living in that decentralized way, there was some bad shit that happened. But uh, statism, it just amplified it and made it worse. Like like a million times worse. And And so I think that's what... We have to learn to take, and this is why libertarianism to me fits so beautifully, beautifully with Christianity, because what it is a philosophy of uh, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And it's also the philosophy of personal responsibility, meaning don't advocate for a centralized power to give you what you want. Take personal responsibility to provide for yourself the things that you want and need. And, and, you know, don't, don't infringe upon other people's liberties for the sake of your own convenience to make your life easier. You know what I mean? I, that's where I come from, at least. That, that, that's, that, that, that's strongly my conviction of what I think the Bible says. I get you, man. And, uh, you know, it's not, it's a pretty deep thought right there of like looking at the Old Testament like that. I dig it. Um, like I get where the Gnostics were coming from. Like, and there's a lot of Christian libertarians who actually do go that way. Mm-hmm. Like they, they kind of think like Jesus was a corrective force on, I don't know. I I, I don't go yeah, that route. I kind of like came at that perspective at some point in my faith, like just kind of like looking at it, like, okay, like kind of, you know, like you, I just didn't, it wasn't like one day you, you switch it off. It, it's like kind of like a slow, like, you know, the Sermon on the Mount can kind of it, it can be read as sort of like Jesus correcting a bunch of shit is what it reads like to a lot of Christians is like Jesus was like oh well the Old Testament said this but fuck that this is what you're supposed to do mm-hmm. um uh so I you know I, I can see where people get that but uh I think the problem is the Old Testament's hard to read you know what I mean like it's like the New Testament is compared to, I mean, it's not always easy to read the New Testament, but compared to the Old Testament, it's like, you know, it's shorter, it's it's more narrative-driven. Like, the Old Testament is like, it's brutal to read oh, through. Horrible. Yeah, just, I mean, just, it, I mean it, there's it, like cool, you know, there's cool stuff in there, like from a well, especially like the standpoint first, and stuff, but the, man, the, it is. Well, like the history of Israel part of the, like, especially the first half of the Old Testament can be tough. Yeah. You know, not Proverbs, Psalms, you know, they're a bit different. Um, you know, you have some one-off books like Jonah or uh, Job or something that I think are actually, uh, you know, uh, there's not enough Christians that have read the book of Job, man. That book is, a. <laughs> it's like, it's like it, some Christians, they just think, oh, God's good, you know, and, and like, you know, God wouldn't ever challenge me or, you know, let me like, you know, 
test my faith. It's like, have you read the book of Job, dude? <laughs> like, <laughs> how do you not read it and come at it from my perspective? I'm just going like, why is he so fucking mean to poor Job, man? He can just tell the the devil to fuck off. <laughs> just, oh. That book's Probably, rough. People can come at it from a lot of different perspectives and stuff because they're, 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 they're full, they're narratives that have built the world around us and stuff. Yeah. But that's what, you know, Christians need to get better at. Like, I don't know, just coming at it with from a place of humility. You know what I mean? It's like, I don't act like I have, you know, we could do this for another two hours and there's, there'd probably be objections you would raise that I wouldn't have good answers for. You know what I mean? Like, I don't claim I have an answer for everything. Um, I think they're like the problem you pointed out at the beginning is a problem I share because like too many Christians just like ah, just just listen to it, don't question it. And I'm like I I can't do that. If that's what I had to do, I'd be where you are. Yeah, like I, I I could not. You know I I need you know to me there has to be good reasons. Um, but Christians should like I don't know be humble and just when they're talking with atheists and stuff, just kind of like what we're doing now, just be like you know, hear the objections and if they have answers, give them. But if they don't be like, you know, like, listen, the book of Job, that's a hard one. Like I have some answers for that, but there's, you know, that's one of the books, just like there's other parts in the Bible where I go, you know, I'm still learning. I'm, I'm, <laughs> still, I'm still learning. And, and, uh, and, you know, my faith is driving me to try to reconcile these things. And some of it's hard to, you know, come to terms with, but, there, you know, come at it with a humility rather than just like, you know, oh, uh, well, like some of these post libs and praxians, as much as I agree with them, they'll turn me off in like their very unchrist like response to people like you, where they're just like, oh, you're just a filthy degenerate. And like, you know, they just, and they're right. And they, block, <laughs> yeah, but I mean, they, they just, they're just like, oh, he's a cringe atheist and they just block you. And I'm just like, I, I don't like, I, I can't find, I, I can't find, I can't find where Jesus blocked people. <laughs> like, I, find I, that for me. I do dislike it, man. Like, I'm I'm not here to block anybody, even like some of our buddies that are just so quick to the block. But I just I'm here for the conversation. I don't believe anybody's completely lost to a conversation. Now, I've been proven wrong many times on Twitter. <laughs> there are some, you know, whatever. But I do yeah. think it's like if you're just gonna get in your like comfort group and circle jerk about whatever your belief set is you're People not going to get anywhere you're i hate you're, i say like i hate echo chambers and I, and I think you you know that's probably something that like like me you reed and liam like the reason we we you know like that whole capitalist communion thing works is because like we 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 don't want echo chambers like we value uh hearing from people that don't just agree with us because to me it's just boring like i was just surrounded by people that just you know just reaffirmed everything i already believe it's like how am i going to grow yeah you know what i mean like how am i going to how am i going to grow and get better and and uh become a better father and a better husband and a better libertarian a uh, better christian a better man if i'm not you know challenged to, to grow if i'm not you know it, it's almost like snowflakery is something that exists on the left and the right. You know what I mean? It's like some people, it's just like they're, uh, uh, what's the term for like people that are afraid of germs, um, and dirt. Germ I can't remember what yeah, I guess. Yeah. It's just like, they're like emotional 
uh germaphobes or uh people who are like they you know they faint at the sight of blood or something and it's just like they can't t- it's like you know oh a contrary thought entered my twitter feed block <laughs> i'm just like how do you i, I don't know i i just I don't, no, I don't it's, get it. it's that snowflake shit, man. Like yeah. it, it, it does exist on the right and the left. I've made this point many times. Like the, uh, you got a Bible verse in your in your bio. You do, do you, I in my Twitter yeah. bio? Yeah. No. Okay, good. The Bible verse is the equivalent of the uh, the, the pronouns. Yeah, the pronouns. <laughs> it's the same thing. It's the yeah. same exact thing. And I've pissed off several. It, it, I've pissed off a handful of people every time I've made that point. But I would. How is it not? It's just. The, it's the mirror version. It's a virtue signaling, and it is kind of like it's indicative of these people that are just so sure of their belief set and don't want to hear the outside perspective. It's like that kind of like. But it's like, but to me, it's like, isn't that kind of self-contradictory? Like, if you're so sure, why are you afraid of the contradictory views? Yeah, yeah fair. Maybe they're you know not I mean? sure, but they're just. So like, that's. I think it. I think it's. Scale. I think it's like a. It's sort of like um. People, you know, like the people with low self-esteem act like assholes and act like you know, and they're prideful. Like, like pride mm-hmm. is actually a sign of low self-esteem, and I think. Uh, oh, well, these people are wrong, and I'm going to block them because they're idiots. Is actually just a sign of like, you're actually not that sure and intellectually, uh, you know, prepared, yeah, and 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 sure and firm in your beliefs as you think you are. Yeah, because if you I were be ready to argue my points, and if somebody you know convinces me that I'm wrong, I would love it. Like, <laughs> I'm yeah. right about everything. Like, we can go through this. Anybody wants to debate me sorry I'm that's not. how i became an anarchist was like that relentless debating and yeah. it was like i relentlessly debated uh who's he's now like one of my best friends um uh my friend constantine who, who uh is a another a Mises caucus member he's actually jewish but uh we literally like an entire day on facebook like just you know when i found out he because like he was like making anarchist arguments to me because it was like so he shared a meme like taxation you know taxation is theft and I was like, well, was all taxation theft? Because I was like liberty leaning at this point, but like I wasn't like, you know, I hadn't actually like taken that full deep dive. And I was like, yeah, I was like, I was like, listen, most taxation is bullshit, but like, you know, we need something, right? And so literally a whole day of this. And like I threw everything at him. He threw everything back at me. And then like near the end of the day, I was just like, fuck, like I've I'm out. Like, I'm like. Like I've given him everything I can think of, and he's given me like twice back that, and I'm and I just realized like I, you know he's right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, <laughs> you know man. what I mean? It, and, that's, and that's that's so much more valuable than just being right all the time. Like right, you know. Like, Whereas like if I had just been triggered, like oh fucking libertarian block. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I figured you know I mean? out everything I needed to figure out at age twenty. And I'm just going forward, right. you know, blinders on, and I'm just, I'm rocking it. Right, exactly. Yeah, not a great way to live. No, it's, not at all. Yeah. Nope. All right, man, we're coming up on two hours here. Uh, uh, thanks for coming on. This was a great, you know, great conversation. It was nice to, you Anytime, know, talk. Man. It was nice to talk back and forth without, you know, Reed and Liam interrupting us. And, I know, you know man. Them fucking losers. <laughs> Finally ditched the dead weight. Right. Yep. Uh, everyone watching again, uh, Rabbit Eye. I didn't drink too much of it tonight because I'm. Let oh, me get it in front of the camera. But uh, Rabbit Eye, this is my last bottle. I gotta get, I gotta get myself some more. Hey man, uh, here soon. 
let me know. I'll hook you up. Yeah, this time my wife wants me to get her the uh, the uh, I got the semi sweet because that's how I like my wine. It's like I don't want it too sweet, but mm-hmm. I I can't drink the super like you know dry stuff. It's like I need that balance. But she's like, uh, this is too dry. I need the sweet one. I was like, fine. I'll get you your you know your sugar you, wine, your fruit get juice. You some get you some sweet one like you like. But I'm gonna throw <laughs> in a dry bottle when you do. It's my favorite okay. one. It, it's not. It ain't like dry dry. But if you're having a steak or something, like yeah, man, it's my, it's my favorite. Now, it's kind of just like the more you drink something, the less you want to taste the sugar in it and stuff. So that's kinda, yeah, yeah. Um, but this uh, is this is nice. This semi sweet is like there's like that hint of sugar just to like you know it's not like you know like when I'm done, uh, yeah. you know that's what I like. It's like I like that nice balance of like the, the, the semi sweet and stuff. Uh, that's thank always you, what I've gone for. So it's it's hey, it's really nice. Um, I, I thank you for that, and it's uh, we're we're really proud of it. You know, it's, we put a lot of work into kind of getting our recipe just right. And how, this is something I wanted to ask you. Um, how is it is it much different making blueberry wine than it is making wine out of grapes, or is it like pretty same much principle? The same? You know, same principle. Every wine has a you know every winery has a different methods and such. Sure, but it's all just you know breaking down your fruit product, adding the proper sugars and enzymes and, and the yeast to it at the proper time and, and just kind of maintaining it, filtering out all the bad stuff and letting it age. It's, you know. um, Michael, the, the name of the company is uh, uh, Rabbit Eye uh, Wine. What's the website? RabbitEyeWine.com? Yeah, RabbitEyeWine.com, yeah. man. And uh, yeah. we're on all the social media that you can check out. And, um, if you go to our website, you can see if we can ship right to your door, but if you're in Georgia, we are, uh, rapidly expanding our base. there, trying to push it out to as many stores as possible. Got several years to get to full saturation, but, uh, you know, it's, 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 you guys guys just looking at staying local or you're going to try to get it, uh, you know, uh, more internet, like more nationally worldwide i want this to worldwide. be the, yeah worldwide I want, yeah yeah you got here in pa man that way i can just uh go down to the store and buy it that'd be awesome absolutely it's you know it's um like i said we got years before we can like yeah. fully saturate georgia to the point where it would make sense for us to push it into other states getting past the licensing and all but um you know it's does georgia have like really dumb alcohol laws or is it? Oh yeah. yeah, not the worst. There are a lot of terrible ones, but Pennsylvania um, used to. They've gotten mm-hmm. a lot better though recently. Um, like now I get like it's changed rapidly. I remember like six years ago, it was like you could only buy wine at like the state issued wine and spirit stores, and couldn't do it on Sunday and stuff. Mm-hmm. And now it's like, oh, I went to the drugstore and there's a wine section <laughs> at the, yeah, or the gas got, station and stuff. <laughs> yeah. We got wine and beer in most of our grocery stores and stuff. And we can, you know, we can sell there. Uh, hard liquor has got to kind of be at the, uh, at like a liquor store that doesn't have to be owned by the state or not. Yeah. The liquor still here in PA has to be at the liquor store, but like wines and, uh, and beers and stuff are now like pretty much, pretty much everywhere. Um, he was asking how shipping to Florida shouldn't be too bad. It's not bad. Um, I mean, it's, it wasn't even bad to get it to PA except that I paid for the, uh, the overnight, which I made it a (laughs) salty. (laughs) You could have got a whole case of wine for what you're paying for shipping. Yeah. This time. Yeah. See, now I'm like in my last bottle. So it's the perfect time to like 
order uh, a bigger shipment, but just like the slow shipping. So by the time, I, but uh, I, I don't drink too much. Like I drink like a little bit here and there, but over the holidays, like my uh, my family coming to visit and stuff, they went through the second bottle pretty rapidly. <laughs> right on, right on. I, I had to hide the third one. I was like, I just got two guys. Sorry. <laughs> <There's>... <laughs> Spread the love, man. I, I want everybody to know about it. It's uh, I'm not, I'm not really usually a wine guy, but but this has become something I because I mean, it's there's a couple white wines that I like. I, I've struggled to find a red wine that is a balance, you know what I mean? Because I don't like the stuff that's so dry that I just like you know, I can't find enjoyment in it. But then, mm-hmm. like any red wine that has advertised as a semi sweet, it's mm-hmm. just sweet. It's just like, well, this is just I'm drinking juice. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and I, yeah. I, I, I like that dry wine, man. It's something. I, I just like I like that balance. Like, give me the dry, but give me like a little. I, I want that like interaction between the dry and the sweet, mm-hmm. and that makes it enjoyable. I find yeah. that in the white wines pretty easily. Um, like I, you get like a nice riesling, which is like a nice like you know semi sweet, mm-hmm. but uh, the red wines is just like so. I, my wife drinks the. Uh, What's it? The uh, like Riscato red wine, which I was just like, mm-hmm. oh god, yeah. like, just... <laughs> I was like, babe, this is just like, just go to the store, buy the grape juice we buy our kids, yeah. and just like leave it get... out open on the counter for a week. Got to get so her different. The super sweet, our super sweet, you're like, <laughs> <laughs> man. Hey, there's the world of wine is amazingly like complex and in depth and there's just so many different like types of wine uh industries that you don't even know about until you look like the small small side like we are and then the big side like i don't know like just here in georgia locally it's they're everywhere if you just start looking like one of the things that i've I've, like always been intrigued by but haven't gotten into too much is like the people that like know what wines to pair with which foods so many like yeah. yeah it's like yeah. it's like and it's like i've always wanted because i'm always afraid to order wine when i go out to eat because i'm just like what's good with what i'm eating like i know i know there's a wrong one and a right one <laughs> but i have no idea and it's like you know I'm, I, unless you go to a classy place i feel like if you ask somebody they'll just go uh i don't know so yeah. <laughs> you know what i mean but it's like i, I don't know but uh i mean what, what's your you, you mentioned steak what are the best things to eat with blueberry wine everybody's favorite food man like it just didn't <laughs> i really like steaks what i normally go for when i'm like recommending something but but honestly just anything it, it's really just kind of there's something like I don't, like like people usually say like wine and cheese but i don't know like blueberry wine and cheese I've oh, ever... yeah, man. for really? sure okay. yeah there's a me and my wife like a like my wife does like charcuterie boards all the time yeah. and the, like the brie brie cheese and like yeah fruits and stuff with that that's like a real good kind of sweet it pairs well with our with our stuff and my wife's all into the fancy cheese like we go to um there's a grocery store up here called wegman's i don't know if they have them in other states but they have like this whole like like one wall that's just nothing but like just different fancy cheeses and stuff and you know my wife loves the shit too. always trying different ones and i see i like getting like the um pairing like i love when i go to the grocery store and they have like the people handing out the samples and they'll have like a cheese and a and a salami or a cheese and a you know something else and mm-hmm. that's what i go for oh yeah um man. but hey man you can get lost in them little like 
I know, know. <laughs> lunchables or whatever. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Dude, I, my, my, it's so funny. Uh, now with my kids and stuff, I'm buying them lunchables and stuff, and I'm just like, man, I want, I want like adult lunchables, like. Know what I mean? Like ones that are like, you know, it's like it's you know, not I don't have to go out there and do it myself. It's just like, you yeah. know, oh you they know. got them, man. My, my I haven't seen them. Up some, yeah, yeah. You know, just a few little salamis and some crackers and like a pickle or something, whatever. Yeah, that sounds <laughs> yeah. I, 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 the, the market provided. You didn't even know it's already there, man. <laughs> where where I live, it's kind of like I don't know. We're always like the last to get the cool new stuff, but <laughs> I, mean, I, bet you're, I bet you're quicker than us, man. Uh, maybe. <laughs> yep. All right. Well, um, but hey, I appreciate you coming on again, and uh, um, we'll do it again sometime. And uh, we'll definitely, well, I think we'll be talking towards the end of the month again back on Reed's show. So, yeah, um, yeah it was, Anything, uh, man. Thank you for having me on. I, I, you know, love these kind of talks. It's, it's always, yeah. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. So thanks, everybody, for watching. And uh, until next time, uh, don't fear the fire. Grand Canyon University makes earning your degree possible with over 130 academic programs for traditional campus students with more than 80 bachelor's programs offered online. GCU provides you with the personal support you need from complimentary unofficial transcript evaluations within 24 business hours to scholarships, academic support, and your GCU graduation team led by your own university counselor. Find your purpose at GCU. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu.